Good morning, guys. How are you today? I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Uh, We're going to be there today. Brian, thank you for reminding us to be in prayer for those around the world. We are a blessed people, aren't we? And we need to be reminded that there are people around the world that are struggling while we're sitting in this room in air conditioning, fit and ready to open God's word. And they're hiding behind a door, fearful of somebody may come in and take their life. In addition to that, we're we need to be in prayer for those that are in the, in the path of that storm that is headed towards Louisiana this morning. Um, and so anyway, while you're turning to the book of Romans, I sometimes will say this up front. The Bible isn't just a book, but it's a collection of books written over a period of years, 1600, give or, to, give or take a little bit, written by more than 40 different people divided into two sections. And the book of Romans that we're in is in the New Testament And uh, it was written by a man by the name of Paul who wrote that book, who wrote that letter to the church at Rome before he ever had been to Rome. And he wrote it while he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. And that's where we're going to find ourselves at today. And while you're turning there, let me just ask you a question if I can to start off with today. And here's the question. Are you living a life submitted to Christ? Pretty simple question. Are you living a life submitted to Christ? To Christ? Or are you just practicing religion? Are you living a life submitted to Christ or are you um, just a good religious person? Because this is what I know about religion. Religion can be, um, can be very dangerous because religious activity is not necessarily, does it constitute spiritual growth or spiritual maturity? Are we on the same wavelength? In other words, what I'm saying, just because you do a bunch of stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're in good cahoots with Jesus, right? I mean, I know a lot of good people that do a lot of good things, but doesn't necessarily mean they have a a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, but we're going to read about that today. But first of all, I'd like for you to write down as we begin, if you would write down this morning the description of religion, of that being pride. Talk about pride, religious people having pride description. And this is what Paul said as we begin reading today in verse 17. You who are called Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught the law. You have been convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness And you can instruct the ignorant and teach people the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Can we pray this morning? Father, what I'm asking today is we begin talking about your word, that the Holy Spirit would be our great teacher. Remove anything that I may say that may be a hindrance to the Spirit's work this morning. I know that in a room this size, there are two different types of people that are those that are followers of Jesus, and there are those who are not. Lord, today, may we be challenged, those of us that are followers of Christ, for those who are not believers, I pray that the hearts today would be broken and that we'd come to recognize our sin, that all of us are sinners. The Lord, it's not just what we do that makes us sinners, it's the very nature of who we are, being born in sin. Father, even today, I pray that we would recognize the greatest gift of all, your righteousness that comes through your son, Jesus. Be with us over these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Paul. Paul's making reference. He's speaking to a specific 
group of Jews as he's writing here at this time. And Paul is saying, listen, these guys know what God wants, wants because they know the law. I mean, they know the difference between right and wrong. They know the difference between darkness and light. And the people that Paul would have been referring to would have been Jews that had not yet been converted. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that the Messiah had come. And on the surface, these would have been great people. I mean, they would have been very, very knowledgeable. They would have been very helpful. Um, These guys would have been somebody that a pastor would love to have walking alongside from an outward perspective. They may probably would have been very faithful, um, very willing and available helpers in ministry. These would be people that would be willing to serve. And the list of characteristics that we would see that would identify them would be nothing like we would see back in the end of chapter 1 when, when Paul would make reference to those who were sexually immoral, the adulterers, the greeters, the gossipers, the liars, the thieves. And what I'm saying is that for all practical purposes, these on the outside looked like great people. There were no red flags. Do you know anybody like that? Just good people, great people. And Paul went on to say in verse 20, he says, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. I mean, they thought they had it all together because they knew the law and they thought they knew everything. Now, if you take the King James Version here, what he goes on to say is that that same little phrase, the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. There's a Greek word that's used here that's called morphosis. It's the same word that Paul would use when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, when he was saying they give the form or the appearance of watch out for those people. So that, that word morphosis means resemblance of knowledge. There was an external there was an external uh, but the, on the outside, but the internal, it wasn't there. In other words, that old saying, you see what you, what you see is what you get, would not have worked here. It wouldn't even applied. And what I'm trying to say is that we can know an awful lot about God, yet not know God. Are we on the same page? So, for instance, when I was growing up, um, baseball was a big thing. You played baseball for probably about 10 weeks if that, during the year. There wasn't none of this all, all year long travel ball, none of that kind of stuff. Baseball come at one time of the year, and that was it. And so we worked on Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon was given to a baseball game, usually somewhere between 10 and 2. And then at another time, in Saturday afternoon, I always loved to stop and watch baseball because we didn't have 25,000 different TV channels to watch. It was usually about three channels. And one of those channels would usually have baseball on in the afternoon. And one of my favorite teams, believe it or not, was the Atlanta Braves. Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. So I remember the players like Dave Concepcion and Joe Morgan and Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and all those guys. George Foster, the guy that used to hit it out of the park all the time. And I remember, I remember what it was like to watch those guys. And man, you know, one of the things I also liked about Saturday was in the paper, they always provided the the league leaders in certain areas like RBIs and base hits and stolen bases and and pitching uh, pitching records and and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I learned as a kid... And I knew all these statistics, and I could, I could just I could name them off to you really quick because I love baseball, and I love the Cincinnati Reds, and I knew the names of all the players, and I knew their, their stats, but just because I 
just because I knew those guys and I knew the facts about them didn't necessarily mean that I knew them. You know, if you'd have been out and you'd have, been, you'd have saw one of these guys out on the, out maybe at a restaurant and you'd have saw, say, hey man, Johnny Bench. Oh, oh, hey, Johnny, oh, Sid, he knows a lot of information about you. I mean, he, he almost like he knows you personally, huh? Sid who? Man, I don't know Sid Brock. And I wonder how many of us in the church today have got a lot of information. We know the facts. I mean, there's, in, there's the characteristics, the attributes, we can describe it. But when it comes to knowing Jesus personally, I mean, we can, we've got the scripture memorized, we can sing the songs, and yet we just don't know him. You know, religious pride can be very subtle and, and sneaky, can it? When I think about pride, I think about trusting in oneself, one's own abilities, that there's a satisfaction because of my accomplishments, because of what I know, what I can do. But we can have the right information, we can do the right things, instead of trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross and his sacrifice. I mean, it's easy for us to rely on our abilities and our theologies and, and our accomplishments and yet miss out. And it's also easy to boast about the things of who we are and turn inward instead of recognizing where our true hope does lie. Just like we said earlier, you know, it's easy for us to turn inside because we have been so blessed, so blessed. But it's easy to become prideful and arrogant and somewhere along the way forget that we're just a sinner saved by God's grace. And so pride comes from having, having the law, knowing the law. And then look at what he goes on to say there in verse 21. Well, then if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? I mean, you tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but you do it anyway. You condemn idolatry, and how do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Would you write down the description of, the description of religion? The description, the practice is prideful, the, the practice is hypocrisy. And here's the big idea that, that Paul is saying, hey guys, on the outside everything looks really good, it seems like you've got it all together, but you don't, you don't practice what you preach. I mean, you're out telling everybody what they should do because you know the law, but then you yourself don't do it. You seem to be at odds. There's an odds that takes place between what's coming out of your mouth and what you're doing. You say don't steal, but you steal. You say don't commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You're doing the very things that you preach against. But see, I know, see, I know that we aren't like that, though, are we? None of us have ever done anything like that. I mean, none of us have ever said, well, you ought to not do that. Then we turn around and do it. I mean, how many times have we asked something of our children what we ourselves don't even do? Hmm. And so here it is, is what I preach standing in this pulpit. Is it the same thing that I preach when I'm at home? Is it my same attitude? I mean, the things that I condemn and say are not right, that the law condemns, is that something that I do at home or do I not do it? I mean, the same thing that we all do when we're here in church and everybody knows that we're Christians and that's how you're supposed to act. Is it the same way that we live when we're out on the ball field? Or what about when we're in Las Vegas on vacation? People say that, you know, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. That's not true. 
It makes its way right on back to Fruitland Park, doesn't it, Brian? It's just the way it is. Yeah. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word hypocrite. I mean, but what do you, what do you hear from people on the outside when they're talking about people on the inside? One of the words that they use all the time is, is the word, well, they're just a bunch of I mean, how often do those of us on the inside find, in us, find ourselves judging those on the outside when they aren't even on the same team or blank, playing by the same rules? I mean, how in the world do we expect them to live up to standards that we ourselves struggle with? And I wonder how many non-believers, people that don't know Christ, have been turned off because of the actions or the way they've been treated by people who profess Christ in the name of Christianity. I mean, how easy it is for us to be able to judge others when our, our front porch is a mess. And here's Paul saying to the Jews, I mean, you're teaching one thing, but you're living contrary to what you're teaching. And what Paul had to say was also a really big deal to Jesus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23 with me, because here's Jesus. He would condemn the exact same thing, dealing with the religious leaders of the day. And in Matthew chapter 23, Paul was, or Jesus would say, look, guys, I know, um, I know this is what you're saying, and I know that you guys have this memorized, and I know that you guys have gone to every extent to make sure that everything on the outside looks good. I mean, you'll even tithe. You'll even tithe of the smallest of things. I mean, you're the ones that's always at the synagogue. You're the ones that's always fasting and praying. And I want you to hear what Jesus had to say to them in Matthew 23, verse 23 and following. Listen to what he says. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest of income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Blind guide, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That's a pretty interesting saying, isn't it? Here's, here's two different, two different um, animals, insects, whatever you want to call it, that would have been considered in, unclean. And here's the thought behind it. Here you strain, you strain your water and, and you, you do away with what is a small impurity, and yet on the other side, you swallow a huge false teaching. And he goes on to say, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. For you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside you're filthy. You're a mess full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first watch the inside of the cup and the dish. And then the outside will become clean too. And then there it is again. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outside, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and, and lawlessness. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And this is just part of what we call the seven sorrows that we find here where Jesus declares, um, he prophesies judgment against those who were, religiously, who were religious leaders during that time. And he says, we can look down. I mean, we can look down and we can, I mean, I can't believe they would do that, but don't we do the same things? I mean, isn't it easy for us to act like hypocrites to some extent, to be like an actor on stage performing 
for people. And what Paul wrote to the church at Rome is applicable for us, isn't it? It is very applicable. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 22. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but you use items stolen from pagan temples. I've read that it was during that time in Judaism there, there would be those that would go into the pagan um, places of worship and they would steal the items uh, that were used to practice and, and the items were inside that building and they would take it and sell it and then bring the money back to the church thinking that they were justifying themselves because they did it for the church on behalf of the church. How many times do we as hypocrites, when we're living that way, spend a lot of time justifying our actions? I mean, it wasn't really a lie. It was just a little bit of a lie. He goes on to say, you're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of, the, of God because of you. And here he's quoting back from the Old Testament. And Paul was saying to the Jews that were, that were reading this letter, I mean, you guys, I know that you recognize that you're God's chosen people. And because you've been given the law. But I'm going to tell you what, you know what happens? You become a stumbling block to the Gentiles and the believers when you don't do what you're supposed to do. Because even the people on the outside know that you're supposed to live differently. But those of us that are followers of Christ, we have an impact on the world around us and how we live. And I say this all the time, the people on the outside say, why do I want to go on the inside when the people on the inside are no different than me? What do they have to offer me that I don't already have? And how many people these days don't want anything to do with Christianity because of those that live like Paul was identifying with? How many of us live in our relationship with God makes the relationship with God look so undesirable these days? I mean, when the people at work see us and they know that we're professing believers, but then all of a sudden, I mean, we don't act like we're supposed to act, and they go, well, why? Why? That doesn't look very desirable to me. And I want you to write down this. The fruit of religion is transgression. So we have the description of religion, the practice of religion, and now the fruit of religion being transgression, which is breaking the law or or failure to do what's right. And look at what, look at what Paul writes here. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're neither better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you're not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision is not a mere, merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Can I say this? A surgical procedure in and of itself does not indicate a changed heart. Doesn't do it. A surgical procedure doesn't indicate a changed heart. Here's Paul writing, and there's all kinds of fruit that comes from religion that's apart from God. 
And here's Paul, he's attacking hypocrisy and he makes his, his way all the way to lawlessness. In Genesis chapter 17, verse nine, we see where, where God comes to Abraham and he institutes that which was circumcision. It was a sign of God's covenant with the Jews. And basically circumcision was twofold. Number one, it was a personal identification with God. Number two, it was a reminder of God's covenant with his people. And a result of that identification that they had had, had developed this sense of pride not only were they different from the Gentiles, but they also believed that God would judge them differently. There were even rabbis during that time that taught that Abraham sat at the gates of hell, permitting, not permitting anyone who had been circumcised to come in. You're a Jew. You've been circumcised. Go away. You don't belong here. This is not for you. And as a Jew, in essence, you could do whatever you wanted to because when judgment day arrived, God would see that you were a Jew, having been circumcised, set apart, you were part of God's chosen people, and in essence, you would get a hall pass because you met the requirements. You had done what you were supposed to do. And Paul says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you really think that that's right? Do you really think, that that's, do you really think that's what's going on here? What about the Gentile who's uncircumcised and yet believes and is submitted and yielded to Christ? Will they not gain entry into God's kingdom? See, in the Old Testament, it was by a blood sacrifice that man related to God. In the, in the New Testament, it was through the blood of Jesus. It was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for the sins of the world once and for all, no more. No longer is it about all the stuff that we do, but it's now it's about what Jesus did for us. And Paul is saying, look, you can do all the right things. You can make all the right moves, but just because you do what's right and, and it looks good on the outside, it doesn't mean that everything is good on the inside because a surgical procedure isn't a definitive sign of a changed heart. In the same way, we can call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Listen, you can attend church. You can go to Bible studies. You can sit in a pulpit and preach. You can serve. You can work it beyond the walls. Do an awful lot of religious things, and yet your heart, heart, be so far from God and be unchanged. In other words, Paul is saying, while you can see the outward appearance and actions, God's the one that sees the motivations and the actions of our hearts. Yet how many of us are preoccupied on what it looks like on the outside? I mean, how many of us dress a certain way because just we want to look a certain way? How many of us speak a certain language because we want it to look or how many of us participate in something, not because it's what we feel like God wants us to do, what we're participating, just because we're trying to make a good impression on somebody. That's not a changed heart. It's not a changed heart. And Paul attacks this idea, and he finishes out this way there in verse, verse 29. He says, no, a Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. You know, we often say that a, that a, that a believer, a disciple of Christ, is someone who, is, who has accepted the invitation to follow Christ. 
And it's also a person who's being changed into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come follow me and I will make you. We don't make ourselves. But that transformation of a, of a changed heart takes place because of the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to change us. And which I have to ask the question today, are you living a life that's submitted to Christ? Or are you just going through the motions and carrying out some religious activities? Are you just a good person? Or have you been transformed? I, I love what Ezekiel chapter 36 says. It's God's heart for us. A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. Because you know what? That's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want a bunch of puppets that are just doing a bunch of stuff. He wants to see a changed heart, a circumcision of the heart. That's what he wants. I mean, I'm reminded as, as, we, as we come to this place, when's the last time you've gave thanks because of the blood of Jesus? recognizing that all the stuff that we do isn't what saves us. But when's the last time that you've just stopped for a moment to give thanks and praise for the blood of Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross? Because it's only through that that change is experienced. Let me just say this about religion. It's a dead-end road, people. It's a place of exhaustion. It's a place of lostness and separation because all the things that we can do will never get us to where we want to be. It'll never get us to a place of spending eternity in heaven. That only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and we give thanks to him today. Today it's a privilege to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper remembering his sacrifice. In just a minute or so, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We're going to be participating in that. And, but before we do that, the Bible talks about, talks about examining ourselves, to go before the Lord and to take a moment in time to sit back and just ask ourselves are we, where we need to be. Is there any unconfessed sin in our lives today? And so as we're here, I want to give you just a 30 seconds or a minute or so just to, to quietly reflect on where, where you're at. You know, the Scripture teaches us, and sometimes the question comes up, well, who, who partakes of the Lord's Supper? And the answer to that is those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, those of us that have trusted Christ. And if you're here today, we would love for you to be able to participate in this time with us. But if you're not a believer and follower of Christ, the question that I guess I would have to ask is why? What's keeping you? I can tell you what it is. You don't know that you need him. You feel like you've got it all under control. I mean, why would you need Jesus if you had it all worked out? But today, if you don't know him, even before you have the privilege right there where you are to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Man, would you save me? But over these next 30 seconds or so, would you just take a moment to quietly go before the Lord and pray, and then we'll partake of the elements together this morning. Would you pray?
Jesus, this morning we come before you asking forgiveness for our sins, thanking you for the price that you paid on Calvary 2,000 years ago. As we participate in this time, may we be reminded of your sacrifice and the hope and that we have freedom that we have in, in you through trusting you in what you did. Paul, in his words, said that he, what he had received from the Lord, that he also wanted to pass on to the believers there at Corinth. And this is what he said, that on that night that, that, they, that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it was a little bit later that night in that upper room when, when Jesus would take the cup and he would present it to them and he would say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and do this whenever you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. And today I'm reminded that we are supposed to participate in this remembering Jesus' sacrifice until he comes back. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what you believe, but the scripture teaches us that there's a time when our heavenly father's coming back. And until that time, he's in heaven preparing a place for, for us so that where he is, we also can be. But in the meantime, we have been given and challenged with the ability to be his ambassadors, his hands and feet to this world in which we live. That's why I get so excited when I, when I see us participating in Beyond the Walls or the Mobile Dental Clinic or when we're doing Bless Fruitland Park or when we're out on the ball fields. Man, I love that when we're in the schools and we're praying because that's what we're supposed to be doing, not just carrying out religious activity. But do you understand that when you go where you go, that God puts you there, he places you there so that you can be a, a light in the midst of the darkness? Isn't that awesome? It's not about just what we know, but it's about who we are. And as we go out, we're not just, see the church these days are known for all the things that we're against. What about the stuff that we're for? What about the hope that we have in Christ? May we qu quit trying to get everybody to change and may Jesus, may you change me first. As you leave and you walk out these doors in just a few minutes, man, I challenge you to be Christ ambassadors. To remember the privilege we have in our community to be a light. As we close today, I would like for us to close in, in prayer because here in just a little bit, there are some people that are going to be up under tremendous amounts of stress over west of us in Louisiana. Um, and we need to be reminded to pray for them today, just as they have prayed for us in the past. And as well, to pray for those that are under siege and dealing with the issues, not only in Afghanistan, but around the world. And so as we close out this morning, can we, can we just, can we offer a prayer for those asking God to be gracious and merciful? Father, what a privilege it is to recognize that, and even here today, the words of Paul telling us that this religion stuff doesn't get us any place. It's only by the blood of Christ. And Lord, as we close out our time, we're reminded today in our heart, our heart hurts for those who are in the midst of this storm, whether it be the physical storm of, of this, this hurricane or whether the storm of 
the, the foolishness going on in politics and in war out in Afghanistan and our people that are caught in the middle of that. Scripture teaches us, and Brian said it earlier, that Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still in sin, he died for us, and he died for all of us, not some of us, but all of us. And Jesus, I pray for mercy in both of those instances. Lord, I pray for mercy for those that are, that are um, facing persecution around the world. Here we are sitting in the pleasures and the, of this moment and the quietness of this, this auditorium and the coolness. Father, help us to not become enamored with the blessings, but help us to continually thank God for what you've done for us. Father, now we, as we leave this place, may we, may we be your representatives. May we be a light in the midst of the darkness. Help us to spend less time trying to tell other people how they should act and what they should do and, and more time loving, having mercy, issuing forgiveness, just as the scripture teaches. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of a church family that, that Father seeks to, to do your will, to be on mission every day. May we never forget the mission of the church to carry the gospel to the ends of the world, to be on mission every day, not just here, but there and everywhere. Thank you, Father, for your presence in this room. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. In your name we pray.